So not long ago, I was visiting another city, and I was there for a conference. The conference was being held uh, right downtown in the heart of the city, and one day while I was walking from the hotel to the conference center, I saw John the Baptist. Might not have really been John the Baptist, but it was someone who looked an awful lot like John the Baptist, dressed a little rough. His face and his hands were rather weather-beaten. He looked like he probably hadn't had three square meals a day for some time. And he was shouting. He was yelling to everyone who was passing by about the judgment of God. The day of the Lord is coming and he's bringing judgment with him. All of you who don't turn from your evil ways will be judged by the Lord when he comes. Now, my guess is that most of us, maybe even all of us, have probably encountered someone like that at some point in our travels. We've all probably seen John the Baptist, some radical, fiery-eyed street preacher not afraid to get in your face with his message. And the question that came to me when I saw this particular iteration of John the Baptist was, why don't I stop and listen to this guy? Why don't I hear what he has to say? How do I know this guy is not a prophet sent from God? And that, of course, raises a question. How would I have reacted to the real John the Baptist in the first century in Palestine? Would I have recognized him as a prophet sent by God to prepare the way of the Lord? Or would I have thought he was someone maybe just a little unbalanced? Would I have stopped to listen, or would I have hurried by as quickly as I could, hoping that he didn't catch my eye? Because I think that is exactly who we've got in John. We have a radical, fiery-eyed, fearless, over-the-top ascetic, ready to get in your face and tell you what's what. And some people were captivated by his message. Some went to see him just for the spectacle of it all. Some were angered by what they heard. Eventually, he made someone in power angry, and he ended up being killed. And if we're honest, John's success as a prophet was somewhat mixed. He constantly told the people about the one who was to come after him, the one who was more powerful than he was. But if the four gospels are accurate in this regard, it seems he managed to convince a grand total of one persons to commit themselves to being a disciple of Jesus. Anybody remember who? Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, one of the first disciples. The testimony of John the Baptist invites us to ask some very fundamental questions about the life of faith, questions that are just as relevant today as they were in first century Palestine. Why do we listen to some prophets and not to others? How do we know? How do we hear the voice of God? I want to propose two answers to that question, both of which invite us to reflect on our experience of the life of faith and our willingness to hear the word of the Lord when it comes to us. The first reason we listen to some prophets and not to others is because we know that although some of them may be right, most of them are wrong. There were lots of prophets 
in first century Palestine. Lots of people running around claiming to speak the word of the Lord throughout the whole Judean countryside. The vast majority of those prophets have been what? Utterly forgotten. Why? Because they weren't real prophets. The word they proclaimed was not from the Lord, even though some of, my, some of them might have sincerely believed that they had indeed been sent by God. But John was different. John had been sent by God, and John's message was true. We remember John. Why? Because we remember Jesus. If Jesus had not been the one who followed John, and if Jesus had not been the one who was more powerful than John, if Jesus had not been the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit, John would have been forgotten just as quickly and just as thoroughly as every other false prophet alive during his time. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. If it is true to say that we remember John only because we remember Jesus, and that means that there was no way of knowing that John was a true prophet until when? After the resurrection. And John was dead and buried by that time. So John himself never got to see his ministry vindicated. He had to trust that what God was doing in and through him was indeed a response to the call of God in his life. And several of the Gospels indicate that at one point, even John himself might have had doubts about Jesus and therefore might have had doubts about himself. Now, what that means for us in the life of faith is that faith is by definition a matter of trust. We know that God is faithful. We know that God is trustworthy, but most often we know that only by looking back on what God has done and not by trying to look forward in anticipation of what God is going to do. Most often, God asks us to do things that we may not understand. And there is no guarantee that it's going to turn out the way that we expect. That's why we call it faith. Faith not as in cognitive assent to an irrational proposition, but faith as in commitment of one's whole life to following in obedience wherever the Lord leads. John forces upon us a decision, just as Jesus forces upon us a decision. Will you believe the word that I proclaim or not? Do you trust or not? And how much are you willing to trust? Because someone powerful is coming and he can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you will find it necessary to trust and to see it through, even if you don't always understand. That's the first challenge that John puts before us, a question of trust. Now we come to the second reason that we may or may not find ourselves listening to prophets. And this one is a little more slippery. I think this one is in some ways even more of a challenge than our being forced to make a decision about whether we believe and whether we will trust. I mentioned earlier that during the time of John the Baptist and Jesus, there were lots of people who were claiming to be prophets running around Israel. Not all of them were true prophets, but they were all right about one thing, even if they didn't know it. God was about to do a new thing. 
there was a palpable sense of expectation in the air in first century Palestine. People were convinced that the way things were were not the way things were supposed to be. And there were any number of suggestions out there in the marketplace of ideas as to how to put things right. Why did Israel continue to suffer under a yoke of Roman occupation? How was God going to redeem his people from this and restore them to the covenant that he himself had promised? What was God about to do this time around? People in first century Palestine were open to the possibility that God was present and active in history and that God had a plan for his people and that God's plan involved bringing the whole world into line with what God had in mind from the very beginning. Many people in first century Palestine were not only open to that idea, they expected that God was going to do something very soon. Things were not the way they were supposed to be, and there were any number of suggestions as to how to put things right. That's the second reason that we need to listen to the prophets. They help us recognize that what, that, let me try that again. (laughs) They help us recognize what God is calling us to do, who it is God is calling us to be in light of what God is about to do. And in some ways, that second challenge is even more pressing than the first one. The first one, you'll remember, has to do with what? Faith, the willingness to believe and the willingness to trust. We are often ready to do that. The second issue has to do with what? Does faith matter in our day-to-day lives? Is God about to work in a way that we can visibly see in the world around us? Does this make a difference? We are, I think, less sure about that. We're happy to believe, but the expectation that God is present and active in the world is more of a challenge for us. And the reason we find it hard to make sense of the difference that faith makes, the difference that trust makes, has to do with the way in which we have been culturally conditioned to disconnect the exercise of faith from almost every other dimension of our lives. Faith, we think, isn't about truth. We've got science for that. Faith isn't about justice. We've got the law and the courts for that. Faith isn't about finances. We've got Wall Street for that. Faith isn't about government. We've got politics for that. Faith isn't about education. We've got schools for that. Faith isn't about Sabbath and recreation. We've got Hollywood and consumer capitalism for that. Faith isn't about beauty or culture. We've got, well, we don't have much in the way of beauty and culture these days, but we know it's not about faith. (laughs) And oddly enough, that is what makes it so easy for us to believe. We are happy to say that we have faith because we have been conditioned to think about faith in ways that make faith all but irrelevant to our lives. Sure, I'll believe, why not? It's not like I have to change my life or anything. But there was a man who was sent by God, whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And so John went out in faith and in trust and in hope, 
proclaiming to all the people, one who is more powerful than I is coming. I baptize you for repentance with water. He will baptize you with the Spirit of God. Get ready, because everything is about to change. Now we know that John was a prophet sent by God. His message has been confirmed by the resurrection from the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has done a new thing, a thing that is designed to put the world to rights and bring creation into line with what God had in mind from the very beginning. And so John gives us a choice, and that choice is Jesus. Will we submit to being baptized with the baptism that he has for us, a baptism of fire, a baptism of renewal and transformation? Will we trust him to do that to us? or not? What do we expect God to do in our lives, and what do we expect God to do in the world? More to the point, are we willing to do what God may ask of us, even if we can't see the final outcome, let alone understand it? The question of why we listen to some prophets and not others boils down to a question about how much of our lives we are willing to surrender to God. Have we carved out a safe little space over here on the side, far away from truth or justice or business or education or culture or any of the rest of it? If we have, then we will find it hard to hear the word of God when he comes to us with a message of transformation. But if we are looking for God to do a new thing, if we are ready for God to do a new thing, if we long to hear a word of deliverance and transformation, then we may find ourselves able to listen. And we may thereby find ourselves in an encounter with the one who brings with him more than we can ask and more than we can imagine. So may we prepare the way. May we prepare ourselves for the coming of the one who brings with him the power and the glory and the wisdom and the holiness of God so that he may be born again in our lives and that we may be born again in him and we might then become his prophets in the world. Amen.